This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Their well-being and their mental health well-being is part of your responsibility. And so how can we create these environments where they can thrive and they can gain a better sense of belonging? And then when they exit the bus and go on their personal lives, they can then uh, extend that same type of sense of belonging or well-being in other communities. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome. Thanks for being here for another episode. We're in the middle of season 10. And I uh, just want to give a quick shout out. I was uh, sharing the podcast. Uh, I had to find a link on one of the services the other day to share the podcast. And I saw this nice review from Laura. I don't know you, Laura, but if you're listening, thanks for uh, putting that review in and telling us that the podcast is refreshing and inspirational. And I'm so glad to know that we're making a difference for you. And listeners, thank you for sharing the show for uh, with managers and leaders in your life. And most of all, for your investment in your own human-centered leadership, taking what we share here, talk about here, and putting it to work. That's what it's all about. And speaking of human-centered leadership, it does not get more human-centered than our subject today, which is connection. And here to talk with us about connection, our guest is Ryan Jenkins. And Ryan is an internationally recognized keynote speaker, trainer, and the author of Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In. For a decade, Ryan's helped organizations lessen worker loneliness, create inclusive cultures, and prepare for the future of work. He's also co-founder of LessLonely.com, which I'm assuming is not a dating site, it's not. <laughs> All right. The premier resource for addressing workplace loneliness. Ryan lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, three children, and not just any Labrador, a yellow Labrador. Mm-hmm. That yellow part's pretty important, isn't it? It is very important. Yes. Very important. Ryan Jenkins, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thanks for having me, David. Looking forward to this combo. Uh, me too. Me too. So Ryan, we're going to get into the book uh, and, and talking about connectable and loneliness and the business impacts and what we do about it. But before we do any of that, to connect with our, with you a little bit, can you take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Whatever that might look like for you, as far back as you want to go, what's your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Uh, my earliest memories are just being a leader on various sports fields. I, my dad was an avid reader. And as far back as I can remember, he just put leadership books in my hand. I don't know if he saw something in me that I didn't, or he was just encouraging me to, to be, uh, or to strive to be a leader. And so, yeah, I was, uh, consistently a captain, whether on the soccer field in, in the ice rinks, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, so played a lot of hockey, uh, or in the lacrosse field, um, I always had it in me and just always felt a drive to be a leader. And that first came about by being a captain on various sports teams. Fantastic. Well, all right. Well, uh, you know, it's always fun. We're talking about connections and just immediately uh, a couple of connections. So one, I also am from Denver, Colorado, grew up there. So I got to I got to ask, like, whereabouts? What part of the metro? Yeah, I grew up in Littleton, specifically in the King Carl Valley. Oh, all How right. About you? 
I know, I know Ken Carwell had, uh, had some friends that lived down there. Uh, I, I grew up more uh, closer into the city center. So uh, just south of downtown. Uh, so if you know where the stadium is, uh, I lived pretty much straight line, mile, two miles south of the stadium. So are you as excited as I am about Russell Wilson coming into mile high? <laughs> you know, I, I, I boy, I'm going to all my all my uh, Denver folks are going to be like, what? You know, I have not been following football for a while. I just I've kind of lost track. I, I heard that Wilson is coming to the Broncos. That is very interesting. But kind of after the Manning era, I I moved. I haven't been paying attention. It hasn't mm-hmm. been in the air. So I've, I've lost track a little bit. So. Yeah, I'm going to give a qualified yes to that one. <laughs> well, that's a good, that was a good time period to check out from the franchise. of. The <laughs> so Denver I didn't Broncos. miss much is what you're saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the other thing that other just talking about connections is I love the fact that your dad was giving you these leadership books and those resources. My dad gave me more of like science fiction uh, books that he had available, but uh, Hey, I, I enjoyed those too. Got to the leadership books a little bit later. Well, let's talk about, Connectable, connectable, how leaders can move teams from isolated to all in. And, you know, we're talking about loneliness here and, and the antidotes and the why it's in all of this. But I'm curious, what's your connection to this topic? What's your connection to loneliness? Like, why was this such an important topic for you to research, write a book, uh, dedicate, you know, at this point, a decade of your life to helping business leaders with this issue? Yeah, I um I am in a, in a profession that lends itself to loneliness. I, I'm a keynote speaker, so I do 50, 60, 70 events a year. And oftentimes, well, while I'm in front of a lot of people and interacting with a lot of people, that's you know 15 to 20% of my time. The rest of the time, it's it's solo endeavors, you know, hunched over a computer writing or uh, you know, in hotels, uh, airplanes, uh, airports, Ubers, you know, the whole nine. So, um, but, but I never really experienced chronic loneliness. So it's not something that I experienced myself and wanted to go figure out the answer. How I came across the topic and became hyper uh, and, uh, fascinated with it is I've studied generations for the last decade. And my last book was all about Generation Z, the youngest generation coming into the workforce. And I was helping leaders and organizations understand who that generation was so that they could figure out how to attract and engage and retain that generation. And it was in my studies there that I discovered that Gen Z was the loneliest generation. Um, and the, ne- the numbers were alarmingly high and it was very troublesome in, in my mind. And so I thought, okay, first I want to know why was this happening? And then what could I do and what could others do to, to help alleviate this loneliness? And so that got me uh, interested in the topic and being exploring it. And I've, I've done a lot of writing in the past. And so it was very natural for me to start pulling resources together. And this was all happening pre-pandemic. And then the pandemic happened, and I started to bring all this loneliness research to a lot of my clients, thinking, I don't think they want to talk about loneliness. Humans have never wanted to talk about loneliness. And I was dead wrong. I was floored by how massive the appetite was to talk about loneliness. And so one of uh, a minor silver lining in all this, you know, COVID's really kind of pulled the curtain back as it relates to the topic of loneliness. And it seems that folks are finally ready to lean in. And one of my goals with the, the broaching this topic and writing the book was to destigmatize it because there are, and it's a universal human condition. We experience it all the time and it's not shameful. It's in fact useful. It's our subtle cue that we belong together and we need to seek and forge and nurture our connections uh, on a daily basis. Mm, so much, so much good there. So much to unpack. And as you're, 
you're talking about the appetite. Uh, I think one signal of that is, uh, and this is a congratulations, by the way. So your book, I mean, in fairly short order has gone to become a Wall Street bestseller. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah, congratulations. But uh, congratulations. And I think you're right. That's a, that's an indication of the level of desire we have out there to address this topic and the realization this is a real deal. Yeah, you know, it was fascinating. You know, once we started hearing from clients that wanted to talk about it, that really kicked our research into hypergear. And we studied over 2,000 global workers, uh, worked with 50 leaders, and, and tried to understand how they were wrestling with this topic. And then we put it all into a book. But through that whole process, anytime I'd mentioned that I'm working on a book about workplace loneliness, 100% of the time, people would tilt their head and lean in and be like, oh, tell me more. And so it's just, I mean, we're, we're finally ready to talk about it. And it's, it's, it's super exciting. And, and unfortunately, even the neuroscientists and psychologists, they've ignored loneliness for so long too. I think for the same reasons, it's just shrouded in shame and we just have wanted to ignore it. But it's really just not until recently, about six years ago, that we figured out where loneliness shows up in the brain and how it's really negatively impacting our, our mental and physical uh, bodies. And so uh, all the more reason to, to start tackling this. And, and we make the argument in the book that the workplace, you know, at work is the best place to tackle this challenging topic. Well, and it's certainly an opportunity that everyone listening to this show has to address the topic because we're all, you know, working somewhere. And so that's a, a as leaders, as people of influence, that's a position we have that we can help with this and, and address it in different ways. And, and we'll make the case why we should do that in, in here in a moment. But, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times this notion of shame around loneliness. And, it, you know, it's a curious thing. Like I think about myself, I certainly, as I was getting into the book, I was one of those people who tilted the head and went, huh, all right, let me, let me read this. And, and listeners, you already can tell there's a, a good amount of very accessible research and science uh, in the book. But uh, I know for myself and, you know, over the course of the pandemic, like I have experienced loneliness in ways that I had ne I don't think I've ever encountered in my life before. And uh, and I like yourself, I had a mentor as I started my own business who said, and I went and asked, I said, listen, I want to, uh, he offered, he said, any, any questions you have, anything I can do to help. You know what his number one suggestion was as I was starting a business, he's a venture capitalist. He said, my number one suggestion is you've got to be intentional about finding ways to connect to other people because you will be incredibly lonely as a starting solopreneur, as you're, you're building your business. Eventually, you know, you get other people, all that, but what if you don't take care of that? And this guy was in his sixties at the time he was giving me that advice. And I thought, wow, killer advice that I would never have thought of uh, without that. And so where does this shame come from? Where does this stigma come from, do you think? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's just, you know, if we are excluded from a group, if we don't feel a sense of belonging, then I think the knee-jerk reaction is to think, oh, there's something wrong with me and I don't belong with this group. Uh, and so we tend to, you know, that's just shrouded in shame. Um, and I think it's important for folks to first understand that loneliness is defined not by the absence of people, but by the absence of connection. That's really important to note. It's not the absence of people, it's the absence of connection because we've all experienced loneliness when we're in a crowded office or at a crowded conference or networking event, right? There can still be people around. You can still feel detached and isolated. So that broadens the conversation. So when we start talking about loneliness and, you know, with your case, David, where, you know, it's very easy as, as entrepreneurs and as, you know, executive senior leaders, I mean, it, it can be very isolating. And so 
to think more about how do we strengthen connection? So that could be connection with oneself. That could be connection uh, with colleagues. That could be connections with the work itself. That could be connection to the organization, the culture, right? There's so many other connection points that we can nurture to make sure that we, we keep loneliness at bay. And so I think that's really important. That's where, where folks kind of the aha moment is, oh yeah, it's not just about people, although that's really important. Uh, and it's one of our, I argue in the book, we argue that um, while belonging is not our most urgent need, it is one of humanity's most significant needs. And so we have to lean into that, but think beyond just uh, connections with others when it comes to lessening loneliness. Mm-hmm. So even starting, it's the absence of connection. So that's that's kind of definitionally what we're talking about. And you know, as I was reading the book, I was thinking about just this week we were doing some work. Uh, we did a, a kind of a keynote type of program with uh, some project managers, and I don't know, there are a couple hundred folks on there. But we were asking some questions about authenticity and, and leading from a, a place of courage and authenticity, and uh, and they you know to self rate on some some indicators. The one that I mean, it was day and night, like five to one ratio against this one, but their lowest rated was people at work know who I really am. Wow. And I thought, wow. And, and that was the lowest self-rated component of authenticity in this particular group. But, you know, as I was reading about connection and that how we're connected to other people, that I couldn't help but to think about that and that quality of connection. And are we, are we able to connect in some kind of authentic way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, oftentimes we get pushback when it comes to this topic, and and it's because folks think that it's a soft topic, right? We're talking about loneliness, and there's no there's no place for you know being our authentic selves and showing up fully at work. You know, that's 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 your personal time is to you know address some of these you know personal needs uh, or you know your mental health should be addressed outside of work. You know, that's changing, right? That conversation is starting to come more and more into the workplace, which is which is great. Thankfully. But one of the, yeah, thankfully, one of the, the the research that really stands out to me, which caught my attention very early on, was they, this group of researchers took a group of individuals and they put them through an experience of exclusion and it lit up their brain. That's not surprising, but where the brain lit up was really informative. And it was the same part of the brain that actually registers physical pain. So when we feel excluded and you know, in this case, when you're, the group is telling you, I don't, I don't feel like anyone really knows me. I don't have a sense of belonging. There's a part of your brain that is in fight or flight and you are not able to show up fully to work. It's as, as if you're showing up to work and someone's socking you in the gut, right? Your brain is focused on that pain and you're not able to show up fully to deliver for customers or clients or deliver for your colleagues or to deliver your best work. And so this is why it's so important. And if, if loneliness isn't addressed, if we can't create a greater sense of belonging, then uh, workers are seven times less likely to be engaged at work. They're five times more likely to miss work due to stress or illness. And they're twice as often to think about leaving their employer. So talent retention, obviously, for good reason, is top of mind. So this is a very strong lever to pull as it relates to keeping talent engaged inside your organization. And we're missing it because, you know, in my mind too, the, 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 core, the fundamental human question that all of us is asking, our our whole biology is asking, research tells us five times per second, the question is, am I safe? Our body's constantly asking that, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And if we can't, if we don't feel safe at work to to show up as ourselves and to have others know who we are, then no, we are going to be distracted at best 
and debilitated at worst. And so again, this isn't a, a soft topic. This is a very dire one. And there's some really meaningful things we can do that are actually really simple to move the needle here. But I think it's really yeah. important to, to emphasize that. You've got these compounded consequences. It's, you know, so starting at the level of the individual, there's obviously the the pain that that we experience at the individual level. But then as we get into teams and organization and the entire business entity, these consequences compound to all of the the business impacts you're talking about. And mm -hmm. one, one of them that uh, occurs to me, uh, you know, I often think of this in our courageous cultures work, we, we think about it in terms of if we want innovation, problem solving and, and creativity, if a person is fighting and using all of the courage or effort they have just to show up and function, you're not going to get any of that. There's no way somebody can bring that to the plate. And this, that goes here as well. If it's taking all the energy I have just to fight through this isolation, this sense of, of disconnectedness to be here, I am unlikely to contribute anything beyond whatever the bare minimum that keeps me in my paycheck coming. That's really well all said. I'm going to be able to, all I'm going to be able to give. So yeah, well said. those are the business consequences. <laughs> you know, it's, it's real. So Ryan, help us understand if that's what we're dealing with. We know this is a significant issue. Let's talk about the antidote. Let's start getting into solutions. Um, and maybe we need to understand a little bit more before we get to solutions, but uh, let's talk about the antidote to, to loneliness is belonging. So start walking us down that path. Yeah, creating a, a sense of belonging is, is, is extraordinarily important. And you think back to the, the, the number one question that humans are asking is, am I safe? Well, one way to quiet that voice and to you know get folks to fully be present at work is to create a culture of psychological safety. I'm sure everyone is familiar with this term. It's become very, uh, very uh, well researched and, and talked about. Um, but one of the strategies that we encourage and talk about in the book is this idea of creating proportion, proportional conversations. And specifically for leaders, it's really important to speak last, right? That's one simple way to create more um, psychological safety. So for example, uh, you know, in a meeting, if you don't speak last and as the leader, you come with your agenda and you start and you kick things off with your thoughts and ideas and the direction that you're wanting to go, and then you pull in everyone else and their thoughts, it's too late at that point, right? <laughs> the, everyone's going to fall in line with the leader and you've lost any other perspective or interesting insights. And so it's, uh, it's simple, but can be really hard to do is just hold your tongue and allow others to go first, right? Speak, speak last. And that's the, the fundamental uh, element of psychological safety is that folks feel uh, equal opportunity to be able to uh, be seen and be heard. And so, of course, you're going to have introverts that aren't going to be as receptive to giving their insights in a meeting, for example, um, but creating spaces where they can have that voice and do feel th that they can uh, contribute in some form or fashion is really important. Um, so just a simple thing is speaking last and thinking about uh, creating those proportionate conversations uh, it was really important, especially when it comes to creating this this culture of belonging, and calling everyone into those conversations in various ways. And you know, there's so many different techniques, and we've we've talked about them in in prior episodes mm -hmm. around. Uh, you know, if you do have, you know, you've got your outgoing versus your your contemplatives and so forth of giving them time to think and process and then bring those and uh, and priming and all of those different techniques to to do exactly what you're talking about. You know, Brian, uh, Ryan, as you're talking about introversion, one of the points that you make in the book, and I think this is important for all of us to think about as leaders, 
and to be aware of is that belonging and loneliness is not about whether somebody's outgoing or favors introversion or not. It's you can be outgoing, affable and still be lonely. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I mean, as a as an extrovert, that can be really tricky for some because they feel like, again, they feel like they're surrounded by people. They're constantly in social settings, but they still feel this this disconnect. Uh, and the reason that is, is that the quality of connection is is not there, right? The quantity is there, but the quality of these connections. So, so often that's, that's what's key is the, the quality of the connection. And they've done, you know, research after research after research shows that it's not, you know, it's really, there's no change between introvert or extrovert. It's really all about that quality of, of connection. Uh, one specific research is by Nick Epley. He studied commuters uh, on trains in and out of Chicago. And he found that people were more, uh, had a more positive experience when they interacted with someone that they didn't know before. And whether they were introvert or extrovert, uh, both had that more positive experience. And then he took that research into airports and waiting rooms and cabs, all with the same result. Um, and so that's that's that can be really important. And then for for introverts, um, I'm an introvert, and so I fall victim to this. Is that uh, the, the biggest thing I learned in writing this book was that connections don't have to be lasting to be meaningful. So in my mind, you know, if I was in an elevator with somebody, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't engage because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm never gonna see this person again. Why try to make conversation or do anything, uh, make any connection here. And that's just false. Uh, we are, my well-being is boosted. The other individual well-being is boosted if we have just a small connection. And so now that's something I've changed uh, in a big way. And it's just always asking folks how their day going and just try to have a small spark of connection because it also research tells us it only takes 40 seconds is the minimum it can take to, to create that connection, have someone feeling a little bit less lonely in a conversation. So all these things, there's just subtle little ways, but it's a little bit different for introverts and extroverts. But at the end of the day, loneliness is no respecter of person, age, introvert, extrovert, whatever it might be. Any of that preference. One of the things that I found fascinating in uh, uh, one, one of the, uh, the charts that one of the graphs you had were some of the research, the science around time in isolation and the result in people's craving to connect and converse with others based on introversion or extroversion. It was actually worse for introverts. Like the, the, it, to recreate the graph, if I recall correctly, the longer someone's in isolation, how fast does their craving for connection and conversation go up? And they both go up for both introverts and extras. It actually went up faster for introverts, if I'm reading the graph correctly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they started the study with uh, with animals, and they found that when animals were put in isolation, that they had a larger craving for for social connection, getting removed from isolation. And of course, you know, I was reading this research and looking at all this right in the middle of the pandemic, so it was just so relevant, of course. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, and it's the same for humans and I, I, you know, the, the, the frequency can be different, you know, extroverts have that need to, to, to maybe uh, experience more connection, but certainly for introverts. And I experience this is I want that depth of connection to be that much more, right? If I'm, you know, going to hanging out with friends or two friends and they decide to then invite two other friends, all of a sudden I'm just like in a tailspin, like, oh, this is too much, <laughs> like, I, you know, cause I'm, I was looking forward to connecting with those two folks and driving some depth uh, and now the two other folks and, and now I'm in a tailspin, but yeah, it, it's so fascinating as it relates to it. But at the end of the day, you know, nurturing our connections is, is so key. And we can go into some of the research on why, um, 
belonging and personal and social connections are so significant. Um, but I'll table that in case we broach that topic later. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to some of that. The uh, What you're making me think about is, gosh, when you think about, I want to get this out in the right way. So you're talking about the way that we feel those opportunities or lack of opportunities or, or, or things and some of the intensity of that feeling. And it brought to mind as, after all of the isolation of the pandemic started to ease up and I'd have the opportunity to, let's say, have some some family members over, extended family type of situation. And it's been a, a just a fascinating study in self-awareness because I would come out of those activities, you know, a couple hours with family doing whatever we were doing, thinking that I would be feeling really good because I got to see people. And it was actually the opposite. And the feeling of loss afterwards <laughs> of returning. And I think, I think some of it is exactly what you're talking about in that, you know, craving that depth of, I, I am an introvert as well. So craving that, that's my preference, craving that depth of connection and not being able to get there and then having it go away again, like, oh, so it's, it's going to take some time to, to remedy all this to, and now we've got, you know, a lot of, uh, in knowledge work, we got a lot of these virtual and hybrid work situations and, so I am curious from your perspective, uh, you know, you, you mentioned speaking last, you mentioned um, some of the awareness aspects that we can create. There are so many things that play into whether or not we have a sense of belonging at work on our team in our organization. And you've got uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging initiatives. You've got the, the level of me as a team leader. What am I doing? Um, and everything in between. So I'm curious what you have found in, in your research and in your writing and some of your recommendations about the role that leaders can play. And as we're trying to help bridge some of these, and I mean, I know we can't solve this for every human being because there's agency there too, but what can we do? What are some of the recommendations that you have? Yeah, we've been thrilled with the reaction we've been getting from a lot of readers and a lot of our clients, and that it's refreshing at how accessible and actionable all this is because you don't need this grand sweeping culture change you don't need to convince a lot of people to start doing this it just takes you right the, a capable leader it just takes you and it takes small pro-social behaviors uh, to start moving the needle and we're not asking leaders to be psychologists and therapists no we're not asking that but we're also asking that You've been entrusted with these people. These, these team members are now on your bus. And so when they're on your bus, it's th their well-being and their mental health well-being is part of your responsibility. And so how can we create these environments where they can thrive and they can, they can uh, gain a better sense of belonging? And then when they exit the bus and go on their personal lives, they can then uh, extend that same type of sense of belonging or well-being in other communities. And we just think that work is the best place to tackle this because first and foremost, it's where we spend most of our waking hours. But there's also, uh, there's routine wrapped up in, uh, in work. We're, we're naturally engaging with others during work. There's learning, learning starves loneliness. Um, the sense of purpose can be uh, woven in through your work and that sense of being connected to something bigger than yourself. Um, because again, we're not always talking about connecting with others, but if we're connected to a bigger purpose, that can help us to uh, lessen loneliness. So there's so many loneliness lifelines that are present at work. And we feel that leaders are in the best position to start throwing some of those, those, those lifelines, if you will. 
Um, and again, it doesn't take a lot of effort. It just takes some intentionality. And it's oftentimes just doing a lot of the same things that you're doing, but just with a little bit extra emphasis or perhaps a little bit more presence, I think you can really start to see some significant changes with those subtle pro-social behaviors. All right. Subtle pro-social behaviors. And I, I, lo I love that because it's accessible, sounds doable, like, okay, subtle, small, and pro-social. I think I can wrap my head around that <laughs> even with my task list. I'm curious, Ryan, if you have a couple of examples for us as, as we're thinking about different aspects of our day and how we're going about things, where can we introduce some of these subtle pro-social activities? Yeah, you know, some really low-hanging fruit. Again, this can happen whether you're in-person or virtual. All the strategies we share and recommendations in the book are universal, whether you have a remote team or in-person team. And um, one of them is just this idea of just prompting more personal sharing. Uh, and so one group that we worked with, uh, one organization, they actually have made it a priority to every all hands meeting that they do or every team meeting. It's expected that folks uh, use the first five minutes for someone to share something non-work related, right? So one of the examples was an individual shared a picture of her, uh, her marathon training. And everyone viewed this individual as a very detail-oriented researcher. Now they know she trains for marathons and she actually qualified for the Olympics years ago. And now they see oh. her in a completely different light. Just like you and I were connecting on our, our, our home state and our home city of Denver, right? The more that we can start pulling some of this out of folks, that creates um, uh, discussion points, that creates points that people can connect to and draw a deeper connection. And the whole idea here is how do we, how do we start seeing the human behind the job? And again, it just takes five minutes uh, as this, this one specific group does, does every week and they show something non-work related. And that just helps to start drawing a little bit more deeper connection, allows folks to start sharing a little bit more about who they are personally. And that's all it takes. You know, we talked about 40 seconds. I'm talking now about five minutes before a meeting. So it really doesn't take much. We just got to think um, very intentionally about it. The other thing to be thinking about, and one of the, the, the research that we uh, uncovered proves that time constraints severely limit our willingness to engage with others. Uh, that's probably uh, no news to all the leaders listening. We're, we're overscheduled these days, right? There's so much on our plates, but we've got to keep in mind that when we're booked back to back to back and we're just constantly in go mode, I mean, that's how I'm wired. I'm very type A, very ambitious person. I have to build in the time to be present with those around me. So we, we encourage folks to be more interruptible, right? How quickly does your chair swivel when someone interrupts you, right? Are you fully present in that moment? Um, and so, you know, just giving your presence to someone is so valuable. And I just, I'm reading this incredible book right now. Uh, it's called The Power of Strangers by Joe Keohan, I believe is the author's name. But in the book, they were covering research on why we have the whites of our eyes. And he's like, we actually, as, as species, we've evolved to actually create uh, the, the, we, some of the pigment in our eyes have actually gone away. And the whites in our eyes is there to actually signify to the people around us where our attention is. So yes. we all have these whites in our eyes to be sig signifiers of the other people of where our attention is. So it's incredible, right? So we're constantly, so think about that. What are, you know, are the people around you, do they see the whites of your eyes or are you fully present with them? Because when is loneliness lessened? It's when attention is received. So if we can start to be more interruptible and start directing our attention in the right ways, that's really useful. And the other component of this is who on your team is interrupting you more, 
right? Are, are you getting constantly interrupted by a, a specific individual? Well, that might be a subtle indicator that that person needs some more attention or needs a little bit more of, of your presence and perhaps coaching. So those are some strong indicators as well. So, uh, you know, we're not advocating that you always be interruptible. You still have to have your guardrails to get the work done, but I'm sure there's areas where, and you know, that slight interruption, turning your full attention can do wonders in that moment, that small brief moment versus just constantly just trying to, to blow through your to-do list. Absolutely. All right. So there's a couple of practical ideas for you as you're thinking about helping lessen loneliness in your workplace and, and being a person of influence in that regard. Uh, Ryan, you've got a framework, a less loneliness framework that with kind of a four-step process that we can use to think about and, and approach how we're addressing or contemplating loneliness. And I wonder if you, you walk us through that. This is the LINK, L-I-N-K framework. Yeah, we, we, we say that, you know, link is one of our primary uh, core needs is to link with others. That's why the book is titled Connectable. It means to link together. And yeah, the framework is just four steps. It's a circle because we don't just connect once with someone and then we're recharged for life. We have to constantly connect with others to, to uh, refill our well-being battery. Um, and the first step is to look at loneliness. And so that step is what we're doing right now is to, to unpack it, to understand it and appreciate that it is something that is impacting all of us. And it's definitely showing up at work. It's not a matter of if your team's lonely, it's a matter of how many people on your team are lonely. And so it's understanding um, the, some of the signs. We, we identified 10 of the loneliness, identify uh, signs of loneliness um, in, at work. And those are included in the book. And we also created uh, the first uh, assessment that actually empirically validates how strong the connections are across the team. So we worked with researchers out of Harvard and the University of Canterbury to develop this framework. It's called the Team Connection Assessment. And so you can take that and get a score and that evaluates how strong is your team. And the goal there would be to have your whole team do that and to get an aggregated score. And then you get recommendations on how to change that. So that's kind of the first step is you got to look at it. And then the second step is to invest in connections. That's the I, invest in connection. Um, and we encourage folks to invest in safe connections, which would be around psychological safety and speaking last, like we talked about, but also investing in personal connections. So leader to a team member connection, and then also investing in the connection of the whole team. How are they creating more connections with themselves? An example of that would be, you know, sharing five minutes at the top of the meeting, a non-work related uh, aspect of, of one of the team members' lives. Uh, the second step is to narrow your focus. So this was really interesting. And we studied astronauts for this one because, again, one of the, the, one of the causes of loneliness is when we're not connected to our work. Or we don't have clear direction. And so think about it if you were, went on a hike and you didn't have a map or you didn't have GPS. Uh, if you got off track, you'd become lost. And when you're lost, you become lonesome. And, and that could be very frightening, right? And debilitating. And so that's the same idea here. And again, that uh, resides in the leader is to be able to cast the vision for that organization and to give them clear direction. And one of the examples that we use there is this idea of leading with context, not control. So paint the big picture, right? Make sure that people really know why they're there, what they're doing is important specifically to the individual, and then you know empower them to make the right decisions and to have autonomy. And instead of being so uh, you know micromanaging, for example, and then the last and final step is to kindle the momentum. So, you know, you do these three things and we got to keep kindling that momentum. We have to keep 
all of this going? Because if not, um, right, we just, we, again, we connect once and that's, that's not it. We have to keep connecting and kindle this momentum, build on the relationships. And if you can kind of start to, to, to grease those wheels and it can start rolling, we can just, there's some subtle things that we can do to keep that train moving a lot more smoothly. And I think too, some of you might be thinking, oh gosh, you know, I can't, I can't, uh, I don't want to talk about loneliness. That That's going to be, you know, too personal and too, you know, out there for my team. And that's just fine. I would say I'd, you'd be shocked at how many people will lean in if you talk about loneliness, but you don't have to. And we use the example of uh, Movember. I'm sure you're familiar with Movember, David, but it's this idea that these folks are, are, are bringing cancer awareness through the growing of mustache. You know, they don't have to actually explicitly talk about cancer. They just grow the mustache and they bring attention to it. Same is true here. We don't have to, don't have to talk openly about loneliness, but there's these subtle things that we can do that can uh, spark more genuine connection. That's going to create that greater sense of belonging, which ultimately will leave people feeling less lonely. So that's the four step framework. Look at loneliness, invest in connection, uh, narrow the focus, and then kindle the momentum. So again, some of these practical steps that we can take, we're talking with Ryan Jenkins. He's the author of Connectable, how leaders can move teams from isolated to all in. And we've been talking about what loneliness is, the impacts uh, on business, on team, on, on obviously individual welfare, about some of the steps that leaders can take, why those are so important. And, and the final point you were just making there, Ryan, I think this is so important in, in so many aspects of leadership is that we don't have to call attention to what we're doing. We don't have to say, hey, we are doing a loneliness initiative. Just start doing some of the things that you've recommended to help build people's connection to one another, to themselves and to the mission. And that's going to inherently lessen loneliness without ever having to talk about it if, if we don't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. And yeah, I think I think far too much we, we want to you know get it on paper and, and you know, kick it off and make it a big to do. And um, that's not it at all. We just more slight pro social behaviors, just slight degree shifts is all it takes. So much that we can do with those, those small movements. Okay. So I've got two, two things I want to talk with you about here as we, uh, as we start to, to move towards the end of our time together. But before we do that, tell us where we can find you connect with you speaking of connection and, uh, and get the book. Yeah. If you go to lesslonely.com, it's not a dating site. Like you mentioned, David, lesslonely.com. That's the mothership. You'll build a what's a one-stop shop there. You can find uh, a ton of free resources. We have a connection kit there that you can download. Uh, the team connection assessment is there. We also have a self-assessment as well. Um, and then you can find the book there as well, Connectable. You can find that really wherever you get your books. So feel free to support a local bookstore if you so choose. Um, and then you can find us on social media at Ryan and Steven. So Steven is my co-author, Steven Van Cohen. So if you go to at Ryan and Steven on any social platform, including TikTok, you'll find more connection tips. And last but not least is we have a podcast as well. It's called The Case for Connection, where Steve and I, my co-author, we unpack all this research and we go episode by episode. We, get, we share some really interesting research. We give our personal reaction to it and then give you some recommendations on how you can go about uh creating more connections uh, at work or in your personal life. So again, lesslonely.com at Ryan and Steven on all socials, and then check out the case for connection podcast. Fantastic. Well, I encourage you to do that, to go connect with Ryan and, and Steven and uh, take a listen to the podcast and get that assessment and start working through with your team and figure out exactly what's going on there. 
You know, Ryan, one of the the models that you shared, I thought was particularly valuable. I, I love models that are simple, easy, memorable. And and this one, you know, Maslow, I think everybody's familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs and so forth, but you have this consolidated way of looking at human needs that I think every leader, uh, this is just so usable. It's the three L's of life is what you call it. And, and so much practicality here for us in terms of how we're thinking about our people's engagement as human beings. If you wouldn't mind sharing the, the three L's of life with us. Yeah, we, we respectfully uh, uh, push against Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And many f- folks I'm sure remember, it's actually six steps. It starts with um, more physiological needs that we have, and then it ends with self-actualization at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Right, in the, right in the middle Maslow's of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he talks about belonging. And we just thought that doesn't do this justice, the sense of belonging, because we um, we looked at the longest study of adult development and was done by Harvard University, and it's still going on today. It's been over 80 years. It's incredible that a study has gone on that long because they usually run out of money or people uh, pass away or they you know leave leave their positions. So the fact that a study has gone on that long and they've studied over 2000 people at this point, like very in-depthly, they, they study their whole, whole lives. And the definitive answer to a long and healthy life, according to the longest study of adult development ever conducted, uh, is quality relationships. You know, it's, it's not your economic status. It's not all these other factors. It's the quality of your relationships. So that leads us to believe that the sense of belonging, right, and, and, and the, the care that we put towards our social connections is so critical. And so we wanted to create a model that appropriately emphasizes that. And so we created the model, the three L's of life that you mentioned, and it's in the shape of a, a Wi-Fi signal. So at the bottom is the first L, which is to live, right? We're asking ourselves, am I fed? Am I hydrated? Are our physiological needs met, much like Maslow's model? But then the next one is to learn. Uh, and we're always learning, right? We're always learning from 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 infants, we're learning the language of our tribes so that we can communicate our needs. We're always learning. So that is a core need of humanity. But the, the top one, which is the longest bar, and that is to link, which is the sense of belonging. Do we have a strong connection to others and a tribe? And um, we created the model to look like that one so that the why belonging is not the most urgent, it is the most significant, it is the biggest bar. And it's modeled after a Wi-Fi signal because we're constantly connecting uh, our technology devices to other technology and networks and charging stations, what have you. But I don't think we're doing enough to think about how connected we are as individuals with our networks. And so uh, that's what the model is supposed to reemphasize. So our, our hope is that next time you, every time you look at a Wi-Fi uh, icon or symbol, that it jogs your memory to start connecting with others because it is absolutely critical to our well-being, and we'll all be better for it. And that's our goal: is to create stronger connections at work that then stem into healthier communities and ultimately a healthier humanity. And and it, so the look at that Wi-Fi signal. Remember the three L's: live, learn, and link. And the extension for me. So, and I love what you just said. It's about how to. It's that reminder for me to be doing those things, and particularly getting to that third one and linking. It only takes 40 seconds for both of us to get the benefit of that. And as a leader, how can I go about ensuring that I am creating those opportunities and cultivating 
live should be taken care of, but for certain, the learning and the link aspects of things within the team, within the organization, within the company, the, the business. And the more we do that, it just made it so accessible and was one of those, I love models that go, oh yeah, <laughs> that makes too much sense. I know, yeah, it's, you know, the six steps and all these other things. I thought, oh, that, that's too complicated for me. And I'm a simple guy. So I was like, okay, three, three things. And at the end of the day, I think it's encouraging too, because that's, that's it. Those are just three things like that all of us have in common. We're way more similar than we are different. And we're all in this loneliness journey together because we all experience it. Um, and so I think if we just take, again, it's just subtle behavior changes is all it takes for us to start uh, drawing each other closer to one another. And we're only as unified as our loneliest member. So uh, it's all of our responsibilities to keep the tribe and the team strong. All right. Well, on that note, the, the, as we're getting close to wrapping up our time together here, Ryan, that I want to ask you a question about somebody who I think is frequently the loneliest member of a group, not always, but uh, at work. And that is the person listening to the show. Uh, and I can speak for myself and many of the leaders we've talked about. In fact, it's a cliche that leadership is a lonely business. Uh, I, I argue against that cliche. I think we can be intentional. It doesn't have to be. But I also know and I think people listening to the show can find this to be true, is that everything you're saying, I'm immediately going, yes, yes. How can I help create an atmosphere where my team can learn, can link, and build those connections and help with the aspects of loneliness within the team or within my, my company? But if I'm not doing it for myself, I'm undermining the whole, the whole process here, the whole work. And I, I think this is one of those places where, you know, leaders go first is so important. And so I'm curious if it, either in your research or in your interviews or in some of the practical approach to things, if, if you found anything around that, or if you have any advice for leaders who are listening and saying, yeah, this is one of those oxygen mask on your own face first kind of situations and, and what you have found there. Yeah, no one's safe from loneliness and it's lonely at the top, it's lonely in the middle, it's lonely at the bottom of organizations. And over 60% of CEOs say that they experience loneliness and 50% of those say that, that it, it hinders their performance. And I heard a great podcast recently where they were interviewing, I believe her name was, it was uh, Carol Tomei. I don't think I'm pronouncing her last name right, but she's currently the CEO of UPS. And she took on the role of UPS right in the middle of the pandemic. I can't imagine what that was like. She's an incredible leader. She spent, uh, I think, over 15 years at CFO at Home Depot. But they asked her, the podcast host asked her, what, what, kind of what stood out to you when you took the CEO role? And this was her first CEO role. And she said what her response was, everyone's told, everyone told me going leading into this as I was coming in to be the, the first CEO or her first CEO role, she said, everyone told me it was a very lonely position, but she said, I had no idea how lonely it was or it would be. And then the podcast host, who is a, an incredible leader himself and has an extraordinary organization, and he ju jumped in and said, it is. And he said, it should be, which I thought was a very interesting uh, conversation. And he said, it should be. And Carol then agreed and said, I can't, I can't you know, I can't build friends. I can't have all these friends across the organization because it, you know, creates, it can create a mess. It can create, you know, favoritism and it can look poorly and people will, you know, wonder and question. 
And which is true. That's what they were saying. I think it's completely valid. But I think, again, they're not quite understanding loneliness. And it's not the absence of people. It's the absence of connection. And so I think you can, you at the top, you know, senior leader, executives, you can create more connection without making new friends, right? You don't have to play favoritism or really get entrenched in the lives of, of people, but you can create connection points with others. And I, one of the, the, the strategies we encourage folks, uh, you know, vulnerability is talked a lot about. And I think, you know, the leaders I interact with have, a, have they, they kind of cringe at that word, right? Because it just seems like it's this, you know, everyone's just going to tell all their secrets and it's just going to be this uh, very um, unusual session. And I, I get that. But so, so we strive and we encourage folks not to think about vulnerability, but just ask yourself, am I relatable? That's a really powerful question for leaders in the position that we're talking about to ask. Am I relatable? Because if you're feeling lonely, our knee-jerk reaction as humans is to go inward. And so if you're pulling away from the organization and you're finding friends or connections elsewhere, the organization is going to feel that and you're not going to be relatable. So re ask yourself, am I relatable? Have you shared something with the organization that makes you relatable that someone else can connect with? And again, this isn't about creating friends and you know, creating a secret, uh, secret team of, of competence or whatever it might be. But I think that's really important for leaders in this, this that are feeling lonely and disengaged. Are you being relatable? Is a really important question to ask. And that we can connect with other human beings regardless of role, position, status, any of it. And that it's necessary. And it's necessary for our health and the health of our organizations and teams. All right. Well, there is so much more to unpack and to work to be done. Alas, we are out of time for that. So what do I leave you with? I leave you with get a copy of Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In by Ryan Jenkins. And uh, and do the take a look at the assessment, do the work and start. And I love, Ryan, I love your approach here to start small, find those subtle pro-social activities. It's just incorporate in what you're already doing to build connections and be the leader you want your boss to be. Ryan, thanks for being a guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thanks, David. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>